or we've been, we've been on this journey. We've been talking about pain. We've been talking about suffering. We've been talking about hurt uh, over the last several weeks. And, uh, and, and what we saw last week was that in the pain, in the suffering, in the things that we go through in life, that Jesus is standing right there, that Jesus is by our side, walking with us as we go through it. And what we also found out was that not only is he there walking by our side, but he completely and totally understands the things that we're going through because he himself suffered greatly in his life. And so after doing this for a a few weeks, after talking about this, I got to tell you, I left last week just a little concerned. And you may be saying, well, why were you concerned after last week? Well, here's why, okay? When I am going places, I like to get where I'm going, okay? I am a man on a mission when I am going someplace, and I don't like things to get in my way when I head out on any sort of mission. And the mission could be something as simple as I'm going to McDonald's to get a cup of coffee. I'm on a mission. I don't want anything. I don't want a car. I don't want a person. I don't want anything get in my way. I am completely and totally focused on where I am going, what I am doing, and how I am doing it. I mean, leaving my house, coming here uh, during the week, um, I'm on a mission when I leave my house. It's like, man, these cars, they got to get out of my way. I'm on a mission. And... No, seriously, I am so focused. It's just like, I don't understand why other people are just so lackadaisical. Aren't you on a mission? Isn't that why you're in your car? Don't you got someplace to go? Then why are you in your car if you got no place to go? But, I do that like with everything. So, In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be driving, me and my kids, uh, Dana will not be, but me and the kids are going to be driving for 25 straight hours, okay? And I've made this drive plenty of times. I know what it involves. I know what it takes. I know how long it takes to get from point to point. And so when I get in that car, when we pull out of our driveway on that Monday morning and start this 25-hour drive, I know what time we need to be in Valdosta, Georgia. I know what time we need to be in Atlanta. I know what time we need to be in Chattanooga, Nashville, Kentucky, hit the Illinois border, and Rockford, Illinois, all the way to Madison, Wisconsin, and then up through Wisconsin. I've got it all timed out in my head as to how long everything is going to take. And so our bathroom stops, our gas stops, our food stops are all focused on this mission of having to get where I need to go in 24 hours. So if we're running running behind, guess what? The kids got to hold their pee a little bit longer than maybe they needed to in the first place because I am on a mission. But here's the deal. There's one thing that can completely and totally take me off mission. If I am driving down the road and I'm starting to feel a little bit tired and weary and I see the green and white sign of Starbucks, suddenly my mission is not as important as the cup of coffee that I can get at Starbucks. That is... (laughs) That is is something that will take me off mission just like that. 
I see that Starbucks and I'm saying to myself, man, we need to pull over. Girls, do you need a cup of coffee? I think you need a cup of coffee because I need a cup of coffee. And so sometimes I think when we're on a road trip like that, they're literally praying, God, let us pass a Starbucks so dad will get off the road so I can go to the bathroom. And here's the deal. Many of us, maybe over the last few weeks in these messages, but maybe sometime in this year, God has spoken to you. God has told you that you need to take a first step. And if we're looking back at the messages that we had over the last several weeks, maybe it's that God has been telling you and speaking to you that you need to move from the hill of the enemy of God and you need to move over here to God's hill and beyond God's hill. Maybe God has told you that you need to stop fearing that snapshot from your past, that picture that's there that's taunting you and tormenting you, your life, and to get up on, get on board with him and his terms that say you are chosen, you are unconditionally loved, and completely forgiven. Or maybe it's that God has been speaking to you that that pain and that hurt and that tragedy that you've had in your life that's been defining you for so long, you need to get a hold of that pain. You need to get a hold of that hurt and use it for his glory. Use it for his name because God always turns our pain and our hurt into triumph if we will let it just like he did with Jesus. But many of us are afraid of that next step. You know what the next step is. You know what God has been speaking to you, but you also know it will mean huge changes in your life. And it will mean that your passions and your priorities will change, that your mission, that your plan, the direction that you're heading in life is going to have to be altered, and that scares you. You're afraid it's going to mess up that great plan that you have for your life because... You know what? All of us have an agenda as to the direction that we think our life is going to go, right? Those of you that are college age or getting ready to go into college, you you know what college you're going to go to. And not only do you know what college you're going to go to, you know what degree you're going to get. And then you know where you're going to work after you graduate and you've got it all planned out in your head. Some of you who are single, you've got this idea of the perfect man or the perfect woman in your head and that's the person that you're going to marry and there's nothing that can change from that idea that's in your head. For us that have graduated school, that are married, we we know what the perfect house looks like. We know what the perfect life looks like, the perfect schools for our kids and the type of friends that they are going to have and nothing is going to deviate us from that plan and that purpose. Some of us, it's maybe even more short term than that. We've got plans. We're going to hit the clubs this weekend. We're going to get out there and start dancing. You know, we're going to say, we got to get the drinks in us. And, and we're saying, you know what? If I submit this plan to God, God's not going to be too happy about that plan. And so we fear. We know that Jesus isn't cool with some of our plans, the things that we want from life. We know Jesus has a different plan from us. And because of those plans that we already have, we don't want to respond to Jesus because we're afraid Our plans will be messed up. And so we live life with a fear of that. And a lot of times the reason that we want the things that we want in life aren't because of anything other than the people around us. We're worried, we're concerned, we're afraid of what our family and friends may say about the choices that we make in life and the directions that we go. 
We're concerned about what neighbors and coworkers and other people will say if we just jump on board with what Jesus has for us and what God is calling us to do. And so we just say, you know what, I don't want that plan. We had a youth in one of our youth ministries. God was speaking to him as a senior, and God had told him he, had, he was called into full-time ministry. And the thing was is that at first he was all cool about that, but then he sat down with his dad which ironically, his dad is now a pastor of a church. So when you hear the story, you're gonna, you'll be, what? So, but his, he sat down with his dad and he said, Dad, I think God is calling me into ministry. And his dad said to him, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go to a college where you get a degree in ministry because that's not going to get you anywhere in life. You're not going to be able to make money. You're not going to be able to pay your bills. You're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do if you go into ministry. But then also, he had words being spoken to him from his friends at school, because the name of the college that he was looking at was called Zion Bible College, okay? And his friends were going to places like UMass and and, uh, the University of Maine and Dartmouth and Brown and places like that. And he said, he told me at one point in time, he didn't want to have to stand before his friends and say to his friends, guess what? I'm going to Zion Bible College because he was afraid that that wouldn't sound cool, that that wouldn't sound nice, that that wouldn't sound awesome. So instead of going where God wanted him to go, he made the decision to go to the University of New Hampshire and pursue a degree in criminal justice, thus saying, you know what? God, I don't want your plans and your purpose for my life. I've got a better plan, I've got a better purpose, and nothing is going to deviate me from that. Well, here's the deal. David faced this with Saul when he went to talk to him about fighting Goliath. And that's where we've been, if you haven't been here. Uh, We've been in the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel once again this morning. If you're unfamiliar where it's at, it's uh, in the Old Testament, about nine books in. We're going to be in chapter 17. Um, If you're not able to find it, it will be on the screen behind me. We're going to be reading verses 37 through 40. And this is what it says, starting in verse 37 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword uh, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So Saul is ready to send David off to war here, but first he tries to dress David in his armor. See, what was happening here was that Saul was trying to tell David who he should be. Saul was saying, look, you want to go into battle? You've got to be like me. I need you to take my armor, and I need you to put this on so that you can go out and you can fight in this battle. But here's the deal. If going out into the battle like Saul was going to be the path to victory, guess what? David wouldn't have needed to go because Saul could have gone out there and taken care of business himself, okay? We wouldn't have needed David. We wouldn't have needed him to come and to fight if being like Saul was the answer to winning the battle against Goliath. 
And the application for us is quite simple. We can't let what everyone else thinks we should become run our life. We need to let God speak to us because we will never become who God wants us to be as long as we're concerned about trying to be who other people think we should be. If you want to get past your past, stop listening to everyone else and listen to the voice of God who is speaking to you now. I'm not God. That's not what I'm saying. But see, God was telling David, take your sling, go get five small stones, put them in your bag, and go out and fight Goliath. Do you know why God wanted him to take five stones? Was it because he could be ready to reload if the first stone missed? The reason God told David to take five stones was because Goliath had four sons. So God's taking, so it's like take five stones, one for Goliath and one for each of his sons. You're only going to need one stone because I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to fight this battle. So don't fear people and what they want from you. If God is speaking to you, step up, step out, and do what God is saying. But sometimes it's not that we're afraid. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. Now there's a name for this, there's a term for this, there's a word that we use here for this. It's a big fancy word called disobedience. How many of you in your life have had people throw an insult at you by, let's say, maybe using one of their body parts, like, let's say, a certain finger, to show you their displeasure with you? Anyone been in that spot before in life? Yeah, I think, I think many of us have, and then... There's some of us in this room who have also used said body part to let people know how we feel about them, correct? I mean, I mean maybe, maybe I'm the only one in here who's done that, but uh, man, before I was a follower of Christ, um, I used that body part a lot to let people know of my displeasure. If you looked at me funny and I didn't like the way you looked at me, you could see said body part. If uh, you were my supervisor, you were my boss, and you told me to do something that I didn't want to do, not to your face, behind your back, I would also do the same thing, okay? I mean, we, we know it's, it's kind of like a symbol. It's, not, it's kind of a sign that just says, you know what? I don't like you and I'm going to defy what you are saying, doing, or communicating. Well, disobeying God is like me or you giving that gesture to God. God says to those of you who are single, don't date that guy or that girl because they're not good for you. But we go out and we do it anyway because we know it's better for us than God. God has said, look, my hope for you is not that you live the American dream, but it's you change and transform the world that you live in, and instead we pursue the American dream with everything that we've got in us. God, it says, I want to use you at your job, in your neighborhood, with your family and friends to be a powerful witness for Jesus. But we say, no, thank you. Disobeying God like that is the same thing as telling God he's number one with that finger. Doesn't matter how nice you are about saying no to God or how much what you want makes sense to you. If God has spoken and you 
or I refuse to listen and do what God is asking, it's the same thing as giving that gesture to someone. And the reality is that all of us do that at some point in time with our walk with Jesus. None of us walk a perfect life with God. We're not always listening to what he says. We're not always obeying what he says. But for some people, it's their standard position in life in their walk with God. God, I'm good. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the weird one. But here's what we're doing. And I want you guys to think about this. Husbands, wives, parents in the room. Let's say your spouse or your child gets really frustrated with you and walks up and gives you this gesture that we've been talking about. And then a couple minutes later, they come to you and say, Mom, can you drive me to the mall to hang out with my friends? Or, baby, could you do the dishes and clean the house for me, or uh, 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 it's a friend, and they say, can you, can you come over and help me move now? What's our response going to be in that situation? There you go, Maurice. That's right. <laughs> Heck no, I'm not going to help you, right? But we do the exact same thing with God. We say, God, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. But then we go into prayer and say, God, you know, work in my life in this. Move in my life in this. Do something in this situation. And we expect God to answer our prayers and not only answer them, but answer them the way that we want them to be answered. And then we get ticked off. We get mad at God when he doesn't. See, if we want to move past things in our life and see victory coming from God, we need to stop disobeying God in our lives and respond to what he is saying in a positive way. Some of you may be saying, well, that's kind of hard to do. You don't understand how hard this is. Yes, I do. It's just as hard for me as it is for you. And the second thing is, it doesn't matter what we think, okay? God doesn't care about our opinion. He knows better about who we are and what's best for our life than we do. He doesn't say if it's too hard, look, you can take a mulligan or, you know, here's a free pass. I can give you a stack of free passes and anytime you don't want to do what I'm asking, you just break out the free pass and it'll all be good. He doesn't do that. He says instead, step up, says step up and listen to what I am saying. Once we get past our fears, once we decide we're going to stop disobeying God and really follow God, something is going to happen, and we are going to do this. We're going to make the enemy mad. I'm going to read, uh, keep reading in 1 Samuel in 17. I'm going to read verses 41 through 44. This is what it says. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. How many of you look at healthy, handsome people and despise them? Um, he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So David got out there with his sling and his stones. He obeyed God what, was telling him to do, what God was telling him to do. And so I bet you the thought going through David's head was this. 
I'm obeying God. And so when I step out onto this battlefield, I won't even have to fight. Goliath's just going to fall down. He's going to die right there on the battlefield. Or he's going to run as he sees me coming with my stones and my sling and be scared. And he's going to win the victory and there isn't going to be a fight. But that didn't happen. Instead, the enemy still came at David and they had to fight. And the same thing is going to happen in our lives. See, when we make decisions to follow God, when we make decisions to go where God is calling us to go, the enemy is going to stand up. He is going to puff out his chest and he's going to say, oh yeah, you think you're going to do what God wants you to do? And he's going to roar, he's going to make noise, he's going to do all kinds of things to try and get you to back down. And the deal is, is that it may even come to a place where you have to actually step up, step out, and fight against the enemy. He was mad at David. He's going to be mad at you. A lot of times, though, his hope is that if he just roars loud enough, he shakes the walls enough, that you're just going to say, you know what, forget it. It's not worth it. But we have, to, we have to understand something about the enemy. And I'm just going to turn quickly to the New Testament in the letter of 1 Peter. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. And it says this, Be alert and sober, uh, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, the enemy can roar but he can't devour you without our permission. You see, what a lot of people will do is the enemy comes and they roar in the roars and make some noise and we, we get down and we cower and we're afraid and what we're doing when we do that is we're opening ourselves up to being devoured by the enemy because a lot of times we think that as long as I just stand up and say, I'm for Jesus, that everything's just gonna fall down around us and there's not gonna be any sort of fight. But when the enemy comes, we may have to stand, we may have to fight, we may have to go in battle, but we're never gonna lose that fight, we're never gonna lose that battle as long as we resist. See, the moment that we give in and don't resist the attacks of the enemy is the moment that he has the power and the authority in our lives to devour us, and that's when people get devoured. Don't let the enemy intimidate you or scare you because he can do nothing to you. He's already been defeated in your life. So instead of being intimidated by the enemy, we need to trust in three things. We need to trust first in God's provision. What do I mean? All right. So we've got a lot of parents with young kids in the room, and all of us, I believe, were kids at one point in time, I hope. Um, none of you were born, what was that, Mork and Mindy, where Mork was an adult when he was born? But uh, how many of you ever played this game with either your, one of your parents or you've done it with your kids? You know, you get them like on the edge of something high. And uh, dad is standing down there with his arms up like this, telling the kid to jump. And the kid jumps off and catches, the dad catches them in their arms. Have you ever done that? I've done it with all of my kids. I'd put them on the counter, tell them to jump. I'd put them on the monkey bars and tell them to jump. I'd, um, and, and they had a they had less, lot less fear than and a lot more faith because if I asked one of them to do that now, that probably wouldn't happen. But, uh, but, you know, our kids, they'll get up there, or we, if we did it, we'll get up there and we'll jump into those arms expecting our parent to catch us. 
Has anyone ever been someplace and seen a dad go, put his kids on the monkey bars and go, jump, I'll catch you. Oops, sorry about that. No, we, we've never seen that, right? I hope, I hope. I never have, okay? But here's the deal. Many times with God, when he places us on the monkey bars and he says jump, we're like, man, I'm good. You're not going to catch me. We think that when we jump, God's going to do that and just go, psych, and watch us hit the ground, fall to pieces, and fall apart. If our earthly father will catch us when we jump, can we not much more depend on our heavenly father when we step out in him and jump and do what he tells us to do is going to catch us? He's not going to let you drop. He's going to catch you if you step out and do what he is calling you to do. The second thing is that we need to trust in God's presence. How many of you, when you go to sleep at night, have all of your body parts on the bed? You don't let your arm hang off. You don't let your leg hang off or anything like that. Anybody keep, I keep all of my body on the bed. As a matter of fact, not only does all of my body have to be on the bed, but everything but my, my head, the top of my head, has to be under the covers as well. Now, what's the reason for that? Because in the middle of the night, the monster under the bed could come out and grab you at any point in time, right? It's an irrational fear that starts when you're really young and you think there's monsters in your closet, monsters under your bed, you know there's monsters everywhere. It's an irrational fear. But we have an irrational fear when it comes to God as well. We don't think that God's presence is going to go with us. We look at the situation like the one David faced and we back down, we back off because we're afraid that we're going to get out there and God's going to be standing a mile away saying, go ahead, you got this, I'll be over here. God's not going to do that. His presence is going to go with us. Look what happens in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, David knew that God had told him to go out there and his presence would be there as he faced Goliath. David knew that if God had told him to do something, that God was going to be with him when he did it. But for some reason, many of us don't think that's going to happen when God calls us. His presence will be there. He'll be there whether we feel him with us or not. Don't listen to the voice in your head that says his presence is gone because he's not going to take his presence away from his children. He's not going to leave us out there. If he has called us to it, he's going to walk us and see us through it and there's nothing that we can do with, uh, about that. God will be with us. His presence will be there. 
And then finally, Greg, if you could come on up, there's God's power. I feel that the church today, especially in America, we struggle with this whole concept of God's power. And I think it's because we've never really seen God's power work. The reason that we do, oh sorry, I was on the wrong spot there. Um, And the reason for that is because we've never really experienced God's power. Maybe there's an issue where we've just never stepped into a place where God has needed to work in power, and that's the problem. Because see, David, he went charging into battle. David went out there in the fight and charged into battle against the enemy of God, believing and trusting and knowing that God's power had to be there. Because he knew that if God's power wasn't there, that he was going to lose the fight. A man that's five foot two against a man who's nine foot nine and has weapons that weigh more than David weighed, there was no way that David was going to win that battle unless God was there in power on the battlefield to make sure that David won the fight. But with us, we stop and we say, well, I better not go because there's a chance that God's power won't show up in my situation. And then I'm in trouble. God's power will be there if he has spoken to us. Don't think that God's power is not going to be there for you. Don't think he's going to leave you hanging. You can do exactly what God is calling you to do. Make the changes he is calling you to make, to live the life he's calling you to live because his power is there, his power is with you, and his power will help you move through anything God is calling you to move through. There's no place on this earth. There's no, there's no possible thing that God is going to look at us when we're doing what he's called us to do and, and, and he's going to say, you know what? I'm just going to withdraw. I called you to that, but I'm just not going to give you the power to do it. If God has called you to it, he's going to give you the power to fight and to win the battle. Some of you in life, you're, you're looking at things God has spoken to you and you know what God is calling you to do, but you have this fear that God's power is not going to be there to help you push through and to win the fight. God's power and presence will be there. He will help you to make it through. He will help you to fight the battle. He will make sure that the victory is his and yours because that's who he is. We are his children. He loves us. And if he's called us to something, he's not going to abandon us or leave us hanging. Listen, God's looking at a lot of us and seeing a lot of the things that he has for us. But so many of us are standing back in fear of the things that God has said, the things that God has spoken over your life. Don't leave here this morning with that fear still holding on to your life. Don't leave here this morning saying, God, I just don't know. Turn to God this morning. Turn to him and say, God, I know you have the power. I know your presence is going to go with me. And I know that through you, with you, we are going to gain the victory on the battlefield in whatever it is you have called me to fight in. Don't hold on to excuses. Make the steps.
steps and changes that God is calling you to make.